Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 112. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgendered, white dudes. Uh -uh. No, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Alejandro Enriquez, a.k.a. the Bronx Serial Killer, an American serial killer and rapist active in New York City's Bronx District between 1989 and 1990. He has been convicted of three murders and is suspected in at least three others. Ooh, well, I'd never heard of this case until now. So <laughs> before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. So uh, we're recording on a Monday and yesterday was Valentine's Day and I had a great day. My sister sent me some flowers and an edible arrangement. So I had chocolate strawberries. Nice. (laughs) 
That's so sweet. Yeah. And I was able to spend some time with some friends. Most of them have been vaccinated already. Cool. And uh, yeah, uh, we wore masks and sat out in the backyard. So that was cool. Oh, that's so nice. Look at the world is opening up for you again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that sounds so nice. Right on. How are you doing? Well, I am fantastic. Um, before <laughs> I get to the, the good news, my house was egged on, on oh my Friday God. night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was crazy like all i'm thinking is i'm like who who hates us like what did we what did we do what the fuck yeah i don't know but it was a pain in the ass to clean up yeah and i i've just never experienced that before and it was like these people must have had an egg cannon because the whole like the whole house we were scrubbing as a family and jesus christ yeah it was a pain in the ass when uh, my kids were younger, um, we were walking down the street one day and some some kids threw eggs at us while we were walking. <gasps> Seriously? Yeah. And they the only person they hit was my son. Oh, and oh. I don't I don't remember how old he was, but, you know, uh, probably somewhere around 13. Uh-huh. It was like totally fucked up. And yeah. then another time uh, some kids what? egged my house um i'm pretty sure it was like some quote unquote friends of my daughter's oh you know how yeah. kids are that at that age yeah. yeah and what did you do you obviously didn't kill your daughter or her friends <laughs> right did well you just... i don't know who 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 did it so did you just clean it up yourself yeah, just cleaned it up yeah Ugh, it is such a pain in the ass yeah, um, it's it's an awful thing to do to somebody. It is. And but, uh, you know, I have to repent because um, I did that kind of thing. Oh, man. No, well, not, <laughs> not, like, not like on a regular, not like on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, I know. Probably when you were a teenager in high school, right? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, didn't kind of didn't. Didn't everybody? And by the way, I didn't know egging houses was a thing until I got around white kids. So, you know, uh, it's not all the white kids. Culturally, that is not something my people do, I don't think. Uh, So the other thing people do is uh, TP houses. And I have never really understood any of that. I've never done it. No, I don't get it. Yeah. That Again. Something I did in high school and the white kids were like, yeah, let's do this. This is fun. We do this every year. And I remember it was like an initiation kind of thing. Um, And at some point during our senior year, hello, everybody. I was head varsity cheerleader. No big deal. Anyway, (laughs) um, the uh, football players would TP the girls houses and everybody was so afraid of my scary ass black dad that <laughs> they like, didn't do it they, re- they refused and i woke up the next morning house completely clean and i went and i talked to, i was like what the fuck guys you guys were supposed to tp my house too it, what is this are you racist and they were like no wendy we were just really scared of your dad uh and i was like okay okay that's legit i get it so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean owning a home i 
man, there's a lot to I, it. There is a lot to it. And I would never grown Wendy would never do that to somebody. But <laughs> young Wendy, who was hanging around troubled white kids, uh, would totally doing it. Yeah. Maybe this was karma. But um, other than that, uh, did you hear the good news? What's the good news? Meghan, Markle and Harry are expecting again their second child and it was i i was like she must have known we needed this news she must have (laughs) known she everybody's down let's have another baby megan does it again (laughs) megan markle for the win for all of us i just I was, I'm still so, I'm not, I'm not pregnant. (laughs) I want to be, I'm not pregnant. And I feel like I'm expecting, you know what I mean? So that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's up. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Megan. She listens to the show. (laughs) Of course she does. Of course she does. Uh, So now we're going to get into some listener. Turns. Angels. Angels coming on strong today. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. What's up, Angels? What you got? What do you got in that bag over there? We got a shout out on Twitter from Dues Xavier Machina, who said, addressing how hard it is for non-cisgender folks struggling with addiction to get help. I love y'all so fucking much. (laughs) (laughs) I say this a lot, but I feel like you genuinely fucking care. And that means so much to me. Wendy and Beth forever. (laughs) That's a hashtag, Wendy and Beth forever. Thank you so much. And we genuinely do fucking care. (laughs) We genuinely do. And, um, you know, uh, we will be the first to say that we don't always get it right when we're talking Mm -hmm. about stuff on the show, but we are trying and learning. Um, And so we appreciate that. uh, Yeah. You appreciate it. So what else is there? We got a review from Ange Signs titled Best Theme Song Ever. And the podcast is good, too. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Discovered thanks to Jen and holes i've loved catching up on episodes love listening to wendy and beth in the car while working from home the maury travis episodes stand out since i'm from that area love culture corner as well hip-hop air horns for all thank yeah. you so much thank you and signs Woo, yeah. that is really sweet it um, is and that five-star review is very helpful. Well, thank yes. you. Also, thank don't you. forget to tell your friends. Uh, we got some... Um, <laughs> I heard I that. Don't edit it out. Uh, we we got some love in the form of dollar signs and yeah. uh, patron support. And so we wanted to just shout out uh, people who've uh, given us love on Kofi, on coffee, uh, and also uh, patrons. So we got Sasha M, Kofi Donor, and uh, Percy. CK, uh, a Kofi donor. And actually, he's one of our day ones, y'all. Yeah. And uh, Kathleen K. So here are your tunes. As I say, I hope you don't hate them. But if you do, there's nothing I can do about it. So <laughs> uh, here goes uh, Sasha. Uh, this is an oldie but goodie. And I just couldn't resist. My daddy, Alabama. Mama, Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole maker, Texas, Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> uh got a little tongue tied there please forgive me this percy is for you when i think of you and the world's all right with me then i look at you and i know it's gonna be 
a Percy Day. <laughs> Percy Day, Percy Day, Percy Day, Percy Day, Percy Day, Percy Day, Percy Day. Uh, and lastly, this is shout out to my, sl- <laughs> what is it, Slum Village fans. I'm calling out to all my you're my ladies and I can let you, let you be with no one but Kathleen, baby. Yeah, that was tough, but I hope you appreciate it, <laughs> Kathleen. Yeah, um, thank you all. Anyway, yeah, hip hop air horns, y'all. <laughs> and now, uh, remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about the Bronx serial killer, Alejandro Alex Enrique, who mainly targeted females between 5 and 21 that he personally knew. He bludgeoned to death or asphyxiated his victims and then usually dumped their bodies inside parks, which bordered main roads. Mm, so now we're going to get into some stats. All right. <laughs> yeah. Alejandro Alex Enriquez, a.k.a. the Bronx serial killer, uh, was born. In, oh, you found the date of birth. A I specific did. one. OK. May 22nd, 1961. His rap sheet includes two molestations, two assaults and three to five murders. Three to six, actually. Whoa. Inaccurate, Wendy. Three to six <laughs> murders. Uh, his victims were mostly females between the ages of five and 21 that he knew. Uh, he bludgeoned uh, to death and asphyxiated. That wasn't it. <laughs> As asphyxiated his victims and then dumped the bodies in parks. Uh, It's unknown exactly when his crimes began, but uh, it was around 1986 that people reported people are missing to December 5th, 1990, when he was apprehended. He is literally the worst. Yeah. (laughs) Classified as a serial killer, serial rapist, child molester, con artist, and robber. He was criminally charged with armed robbery and assault uh, and was sentenced uh, from five to ten years. I don't know exactly how much time he served, though. And for the murders, he was sentenced to three consecutive 25-year-to-life sentences. And these are his victims. Rest in power, kings and queens. Uh, His victims were not all females. There was one male in there, so I apologize for fucking that up. Please forgive me. Anyway, Jessica Guzman was 10, Lisa Ann Rodriguez was 21, Shamira Bello 14, Heriberto Marero 15, Nilda Cartagena 13 was his niece, y'all, and Annette Rosario 17. And just to add to the stats, I wanted to shout out a couple Bronx legends um, because when I hear Bronx, I think Chelo. And then I also think Cardi B. And then I also think (laughs) Jesus and Mero. And I can't think of anything else from the Bronx other than this story. <laughs> there was another one, Ray Ma or something. Remy Ma? That's right. Yeah, Remy, Remy Ma. Remy Ma. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> uh, Remy Ma is on Love and Hip Hop and I absolutely adore her. Yeah, she's a, a female rapper and she's amazing. Um, and look at that. Out of, out of, that's what I think of the Bronx is diamonds and the, like it just, the conditions are so tough. That it creates like diamonds. 
wow. people who yeah, make it out. Good yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. So this story takes place, as uh, Wendy mentioned, in the Bronx, New York. And the Bronx is one of five boroughs in New York City and was originally inhabited by the Sawanoi tribe of Pelham. The Sawano tribe was part of the Algonquin people, who were also called the Wappinger. But in the 1600s, and you are not going to believe this. What? They were displaced by European settlers. All right. That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. It. Unbelievable. Ugh. <laughs> European settlers get us every time. Uh, In the early 1920s, the Castle Hill neighborhood in the Bronx was home mostly to European immigrants looking to escape the packed conditions of Manhattan's Lower East Side. At first, various European countries, particularly Ireland, Germany, Italy, and Eastern Europe, and later from the Caribbean region, particularly Puerto Rico, Haiti, Jamaica, and the Dominican Republic, can't forget Belize, y'all, as well as African-American migrants from the southern United States. Relatively undeveloped, the neighborhood grew along the Castle Hill Avenue streetcar system. Later, the neighborhood became more dense surrounding the construction of the Westchester Avenue Elevated. The predominant housing was a mixture of attached and detached two-story buildings with one or two units closely set on small lots. Uh, during the 1950s, the Bruckner Expressway was constructing uh, constructed bisecting the area. We've talked about this before, how highways are intentionally built to separate um, to separate people, and they usually come at the expense of people of color and poor people. Uh, in 1959, the New York City Housing Authority built the Castle Hill houses on 40-plus acres, 14-building low-income uh, public housing developments, and adding over 2,000 housing units to the community. Later during the 60s and 70s, large apartment complexes were constructed in the neighborhood following the establishment of the Mitchell-Lama program. Under this program, local jurisdictions acquired property by eminent domain and provided it to developers to develop housing for low- and middle-income tenants. The eminent domain thing makes my blood boil. Yeah. It's yeah. like, we just get it cause, just because we're white and male and rich and that's it and nobody (laughs) like nobody else has any objections around here oh they do it's just their voices don't matter because again yeah too bad so sad uh like many neighborhoods in new york city castle hill was once an integrated plus majority white neighborhood however castle hill uh, began to fall into rapid decay in the 1970s due to white flight growing poverty rates and a citywide fiscal crisis the neighborhood was affected by the crack epidemic throughout the late 80s and early 90s. In 1990, there were 50 murders and nearly 2,000 burglaries within the 43rd police precinct, which includes Castle Hill. At the time of our story, Castle Hill was predominantly Latinx, the majority having Puerto Rican and Dominican ancestry and African Americans. Okay, well, now we're going to get into the uh, early life of Alex Enriquez. So, well, he was born on May 22nd, 1961, uh, and I believe that makes him a Gemini. I'm just going to go with it. Alejandro Alex 
Henriquez grew up in the Hunts Point section of the South Bronx, New York City, a low-income residential neighborhood largely made up of Puerto Ricans with smaller numbers of African-Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, and other Latinx people. Hunts Point was one of the highest concentrations of Latinx people in all of New York City. Almost half of the population lives below the federal poverty line, and um, COVID-19 has just made those numbers more stark and obvious, even though uh, this takes place before then. He was the youngest of seven siblings and step-siblings. His father was a barber and his mother worked as a polisher in Manhattan's jewelry district before she eventually moved back to her native Puerto Rico due to the stress of, quote, a variety of family problems, unquote. Mm, That's interesting. I don't know what those were, but... yeah. Uh, According to Alex, he lived a happy childhood. Uh, His parents did everything for him and he attended the best schools, even though he eventually dropped out. According to police, when he was growing up, verbal and physical altercations were a normal part of his family life and his father had no problem using physical force. Police later suspected that he had suffered from sexual abuse as a child, but Alex always denies or has denied those allegations. At some point when he was a teenager, he began repeatedly raping his nine-year-old niece, mm-hmm. often threatening her with a knife. And in 1983, he molested the five-year-old daughter of one of his girlfriends. That's disgusting, despicable, yep. and horrifying. Yep. As an adult, he was known as a liar, a deceiver, a, a fraudster, and a smooth talker. People called him Alex. He often claimed to be the owner of a livery car company. But in reality, he conned airport and other rental agencies by subleasing rented cars to drivers. That's an illegal scam. Yeah, that's a crazy scheme, too. (laughs) I can't even imagine. I know. Too (laughs) much. much, It would take up too many calories, uh, too many brain cells. I just, being a criminal sounds like it's so much work. I know. That's what I always think. It it seems like they're they're, uh, being lazy, you know, Uh like uh, when I hear about frauds and stuff, like they're trying to get money and not work. But Uh this sounds like a lot of fucking work. Yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like, Beth, we're trying to, like, establish ourselves as, like, a legitimate business <laughs> podcast. Right. And, I mean, to I, can't, I just can't imagine the effort to f- be something fake, to be a yeah. fake uh, it be enterprise. So hard. Yes, and the headaches and the paperwork and no, how do you keep track? thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> On some rental applications and in conversations with acquaintances, he claimed to own one or another of several local livery services. The owner of one service said that on several occasions, rental companies and female callers had inquired after Mr. Enriquez, saying the owner of the company was delinquent on his payments. <laughs> Uh, interesting. Uh, Enriquez liked to brag to people that he owned a fleet of livery cars. He also liked to brag about his sexual prowess, although the women who he had relationships with said he was a poor, if prolific, lover. Wow. <laughs> Nobody ever say that about me because that really hurts. Uh, a, he, he cheated on and rep- reportedly beat his wife, Andrea Rosario, who wasn't really his wife because he was a bigamist and he had many girlfriends and we didn't... I didn't bother putting this in the script. That's my fault. But he sounds like a real machista kind of dude. That's yeah. tax- toxic masculinity. Uh, in the Latinx um, 
uh, culture. Culture, yes. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. He exploited his girlfriends by obtaining credit cards on their accounts, which he then charged up by leasing cars and then renting them out at double the price. He would then disappear from the women's lives or threaten them. But the one thing he did not do was pay them back. Excuse me, you are not going (laughs) to fuck up my credit, sir. Uh, He told the children of his neighborhood that he was an NYPD detective or an undercover DEA agent, letting them play in his cars and buying them video games and toys. Um, People said he loved children, particularly little girls. Uh Red flag. Uh, (laughs) With the older teenagers, he bragged about the women he dated, which he told them was because of his car, charm, and clean-cut appearance. And if you watch videos of him, he is very clean-cut. I thought his suits looked nice on the um, media coverage of him right. and his hair, you know, he, and he was a he smooth talker. presented nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was always dressed neatly, he drove expensive cars, and he had a particular liking for the Mercedes-Benz. Mm. He also kept a horse at the stables in Van Cortland Park where he Ooh. hobnobbed with rich people. Ooh. He told everyone he was a cop and that he had connections with the police. People said his eyes could pierce straight through you. Man. Sign of success, though, having a horse and a Mercedes. And a Mercedes. Hello. (laughs) No, thank you. Step aside, old whitey. (laughs) I'll take the murderer. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've already said numerous times I'm a sick fuck. So, you know, judge me or don't. I am who I am. going to get into the timeline. Uh, on uh, June 21st, 1986, Annette Rosario left her uh, 17th birthday party at the Stardust Ballroom and was never seen again alive. She was last seen calling for a cab. Her body was found 17 days later off Shore Road in Pelham Bay Park. An autopsy found her skull had been shattered. We couldn't find much about Annette or her murder, unfortunately. Some articles don't even mention her. Uh, yeah. in the stories. Yeah, that's sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1987, the World Yacht Restaurant at Pier 62 was robbed by two gunmen of $20,000. Interestingly, Enrique's wife, Nancy, who worked there, was the only person who hadn't been tied up, nor would she submit to a polygraph test. Mm. Suspicious. Very sus. Afterwards, Nancy was seen around town in a new fur coat and jewelry, and Enriquez purchased a new motorcycle. Get out of here! Uh, <laughs> don't you know when you commit like scams like this and crimes like this, you're not supposed, you're not supposed to, flash to your money. Exactly. What they should have known better. Um, at some point, Enriquez and Nancy split, and in September of 1987, Enriquez met. Andrea Rosario, no relation to Annette Rosario. The two married in March of 1989, and unbeknownst to Andrea, Enriquez was still married to Nancy at the time. Not a su- 
prize you want to get. No. Andrea believed that Enriquez made money as the owner of several livery cabs that others drove. Enriquez also told Andrea that he was a police detective and he often wore a brown gun holster and flashed a police badge. It wasn't until much later that she found out that he was actually still married to Nancy and that he had a string of girlfriends (gasps) that he would repeatedly lie to her about and that he never worked with the police. Oh, my gosh. Just how um, I just think lying is such a icky thing. It is. Um, and, and, and at this level, yeah. this is like, <laughs> yeah, it, no, he's, this, he's lying at an 11, man. <laughs> I told y'all he was the worst. Uh, on July 2nd, 1988, 14-year-old Shamira Belo disappeared from her neighborhood. Her family did not report her missing because she had a history of running away. The next day, her body was found in Pelham Bay Park. A policewoman who was on duty at the Rodman's Neck Police Range uh, guard tower nearby observed a silver Volvo or Mercedes dump something in the woods about 150 feet from her post. When she flicked on the spotlights, the man got back into the car and drove off. Shamira was found naked from the waist down, except for her socks and shoes. Her jeans were found discarded near her body. She had been raped and bludgeoned to death from repeated blows to the head. Semen was found in her mouth and vaginal area. Because she had not been reported missing, it took three weeks to identify her body. Shamira had dated Enriquez's nephew, and a witness later said Enriquez told his nephew that he wanted to have sex with her. That's so Um, gross. Uncle Uncle Alex... That is inappropriate, Uncle Alex. I can't think of another word. Yeah. (laughs) That's disgusting. Yeah. During the investigation of the case, detectives never questioned the victim's relatives if they knew anyone who drove a silver Volvo or Mercedes. If they had, they would have discovered that Enriquez was leasing a silver Mercedes at the time. In December of 1988, the three-year-old son of Enriquez's wife, Andrea, was injured when Enriquez held a little boy under hot water in the shower, scalding his back. Uh, Some reports say that he also threw the little boy down some stairs and the child suffered third-degree burns. Um, That is really horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. On June 21st, 1989, almost a year after Shamir's murder, two more children, Nilda Cartagena, who was 13, and Eriberto Marrero, he was 15, disappeared from the same area, only to be found asphyxiated and dumped in plastic bags near the Whitstone Bridge. Nilda was Enriquez's niece. Mm, No. Yeah. On the day of their disappearance, the last person to see them alive was Alex Enriquez, who had given them a ride to school. Several known and anonymous witnesses had called the quote-unquote the police hotline and named Enriquez as a possible suspect or at least a person who was last seen with the two victims before they disappeared. Yet the calls were not followed up on. Hmm. An unidentified male made several calls to police and suggested that the two murders were the result of a drug war and drug dealing activity by a family member, and it was meant as a warning for the families. The caller described a black van, which was allegedly driven by Cuban drug dealers who the caller alleged kidnapped and killed the two children. Huh. 
Okay. Uh, according to Detective <laughs> Augustine Gus, it, it is interesting that the the police calls were not followed up on, I think, uh, because this was a neighborhood of people of color. And even to right. this day, uh, I've heard, uh, I was watching over Halloween, um, Vampires in the Bronx or the vamp- okay. Vampires versus the Bronx. And Mero from Jesus and Mero was, is in the movie. And he was like, said something like this is the bronx the police aren't going to come and help us nobody's going to come and help us we're in the bronx uh and i i i can't get that out of my brain yeah um according to detective agustin gus pape who worked the case later one detective in particular in particular totally disregarded the calls about enriquez and he adamantly focused the investigation on this quote cuban connection but why uh (laughs) there was no coordination between the precinct detectives and supervisors just quote signed off on reports without requiring investigators to follow up on each and every lead in the case you messy ass (laughs) a 10 year old witness reported that he observed Enriquez drop the two kids near the school and as the children were heading to the school building Enriquez honked his horn and motioned the children to come back to his car the witness then observed Nilda and Heriberto enter the vehicle and Enriquez took off with them at a high rate of speed. Enriquez was never questioned extensively about his actions during the day in question. Um, all right. Uh, the black van and the Cubans were never located. And of course they were. Of course and they much, weren't. <laughs> much later, police came to the conclusion that it was most likely Enriquez who made the anonymous phone calls to investigators about the Cuban connection. Hmm. <laughs> On June 14th, 1990, the body of Lisa Ann Rodriguez, 21, was found near the Hutchinson River Parkway. She was found about 100 yards from where, where Nilda and Heriberto had been found. One article said that she had been best friends with Annette Rosario, the girl who had been killed after her 17th birthday party in 1986. Oh, man. Enriquez had once dated Lisa, and investigators found Enriquez's beeper number in her address book, yet he was never interrogated about his whereabouts during her disappearance. During one occasion, when the detectives wanted to talk to Enriquez about the Lisa Rodriguez case, he told them to, quote, make an appointment with my secretary. I don't have time now, end quote. <laughs> what? He's <laughs> such a dick. <laughs> Basura I hate of this a guy. human being. <laughs> wow. Uh, never mind. Old Whitey, you can stay here. <laughs> Three months after that, in October 1990, 10-year-old Jessica Guzman disappeared while playing near the house. She shared with her parents and four brothers in the Castle Hill houses. She had last been seen playing with another 10-year-old named Christina and Christina's 8-year-old brother, Eric. Police interviewed Jessica's two friends and the children's mother, but all they could tell police was that Jessica left to go home at about 5.30 p.m. After interviewing Jessica's distraught parents, police concluded that more than likely she was not a runaway, and the entire precinct was mobilized to conduct a search. Vivian, the mother of Christina and Eric, had a boyfriend who often stayed at Vivian's house and whom the children called their stepfather. The man was not in the house when detectives were interviewing the two children and their mother, and no one had told them about him at the time. The man was identified as, you guessed it, Alex Enriquez, and he was the last person to see Jessica Guzman alive. That 
is really interesting that they hadn't mentioned him. I wonder if he coached the family or the kids to say, the police come here. Just shut up. Uh, don't don't say talk about me. About yeah. yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. Uh, Enriquez told investigators that Jessica, Christina, and other little and another little girl had briefly played in his car uh, up on Castle Hill Avenue the afternoon of October 10th, but that he had driven Christina, Christina and the other girl back to his girlfriend's house while Jessica went home. Detective Gus Pepe, who is now working the case, had a philosophy that the last person who saw the victim is generally his first suspect, and thus they are cleared by process of elimination. The use of the word stepfather in this case also made him suspicious, so he wasted no time returning with investigators to Vivian's residence. Now we're getting somewhere. Where, there, they spoke with Enriquez again and asked him where the car was, the one in which he said Jessica and her friends had been playing in. Enriquez said that he had rented out the car as a gypsy cab, and he didn't have it. Detectives asked for his cooperation in locating the vehicle, and he agreed. Detective Pape took Enriquez to the precinct. Now, I don't know what a gypsy cab is. I don't know either, and you know, they're talking about livery drivers, and I wasn't sure what that is either, um, so I googled livery cabs and livery drivers, and it's like any kind of vehicle mm -hmm. that uh, you use to transport people, so it could be like a limousine, it could be a cab, but I didn't Google gypsy cabs, so let's look that up. It looks like it's an illegal taxi cab. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's that's all of this stuff he's been doing. <laughs> holy moly. He's committing all the crimes. Again, he <laughs> is the worst. Uh, <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? <sighs> Download American Vigilante now. <sighs> 3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. 
Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Enriquez told Detective Pepe that he was upset by Jessica's disappearance, and he would gladly prove that he wasn't involved. Although he made it appear that he was cooperating, Pepe received a phone call from his lawyer 20 minutes after he arrived at the precinct. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Man, this guy. Uh, Pepe uh, assured the attorney that Mr. Enriquez was only a cooperating witness in the case, and they were truly appreciative that he was trying to help the police in locating this 10-year-old girl. When questioned, Enrique said he was playing video games with two young friends when Jessica disappeared, and the friends backed up his story. Jessica was last seen outside of a grocery store and was wearing a t-shirt with the image of a Tasmanian devil printed on it. Detectives conducted round-the-clock searches, and they were joined in the search by her desperate family and friends. Enrique also participated in the searches and candlelight prayer vigils. I just think that is so what fucking a dick. sick. Yeah. That is so sick to he go. Gets all the bags of dicks. All of them. All of them. I almost <laughs> want him to be asphyxiated <laughs> by the bag, bag of dicks. Uh, <laughs> how's that feel? Um, <laughs> on October 17, 1990, Jessica's body was found near the Bronx River Parkway, still wearing the Tasmanian Devil t-shirt. Enriquez was actually with Detective Silverman and Papay when he got the call that a body had been found. Uh, Detective Silverman later said that he found it strange that Enriquez, who said he obviously, quote, got a thrill out of, end quote, police work, didn't want to come along for the call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was that's telling strange. everybody he's an NYPD detective <laughs> in DEA. D- yeah, come on, this is it's t- it's your time to it's shine. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> An autopsy showed that the little girl had been asphyxiated, but the decomposition was so bad it was difficult to pin down exactly how. But no stab or bullet wounds were found, and police believed that she was probably dumped in the woods off the highway the night that she disappeared. More than 2,000 people attended the funeral of Jessica Guzman on October 21st. Stakeouts around the funeral gleaned no new information. The killings brought the community together. They raised money for additional police patrols and held vigils and news conferences to keep the murders on the front page. And the police formed a 40-member task force to solve the murders. And um, I saw in the documentary that this got nationwide attention. Yeah. And that even the president sent a flag to be draped over uh, Guzman's um, casket, which uh, was... uh, Unusual. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. A good thing, because it kept kept her name in the news so yes continue what's next although the victims were all latinx and all lived within a two square mile swatch of new york city there wasn't much on the surface to link them together decomposition made determining how the victims died difficult their ages ranged from 10 to 21 rodriguez was the oldest and eriberto was male so now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest now although police did not name him publicly as a suspect they became convinced that Alejandro Enriquez 
was the one common denominator. He had dated Lisanne Rodriguez. He was Nilda Cartagena's uncle. He knew Shamira Bello. He was one of the last people to be seen with Jessica Guzman. And he was dating a woman whose daughter was one of Jessica's close friends. He was also still facing a trial for scalding Andrea's son. Detective Pepe had no case, no hard evidence, and no body. But he believed that Enriquez was a good liar and manipulator a, quote, genius and magician in certain respects, unquote. And he and his partner, Detective Irwin Silverman, felt that they were dealing with a serial killer. Mm. Pepe once commented, quote, you know how a compass needle keeps pointing north, even when you turn it to the south? Everywhere we went, everybody we talked to, it all kept pointing to Alex, unquote. That's a good quote. Really, yeah, it is. Uh, Andrea Rosario was shown a crime scene photo of Lisa and Rodriguez. In it, she identified the pink sweatpants Lisa was wearing as her own. It came as a big shock to her to see her pants on one of the victims. I can only imagine. Uh, she also identified the shirt the victim was wearing as belonging to Enriquez. On January twenty second, nineteen ninety one, Andrea spoke on the phone to Enriquez four different times times, asking him about the pants and the shirt found on Lisa. Unluckily for Enriquez, the phone calls were being recorded. In them, he first denied knowing Lisa at all, and he claimed that the pants and shirt could not possibly belong to Andrea or to him. An answer for everything. Yeah. At one point, he said, what do you mean your pants? Do they have your name on them? Do you think they make just one pair of shoes, just one pair of pants for you? And... This one, this on his graded hints. I would never be so stupid to give another woman your clothes. For what? I'm not going to give someone my clothes and then kill them. Okay, stupid. (laughs) Jesus. Stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. You played yourself, Alex. (laughs) In a later phone call, he admitted that he met Lisa Rodriguez and he picked her up in his car and drove her to the beach and then later brought her back to the apartment he and Andrea shared to shower and that he then lent the pants to Lisa. But he said, quote, I've never killed anybody in my life, and I don't think I ever will, Andrea. I'm not a murderer. I'm not sick. I'm not crazy. I'm just a fucking liar, unquote. Hmm. Well, I believe that you're a fucking liar. Okay, yes, check that box. Um, (laughs) He was cooperative when questioned by police, and he seemed to enjoy being around the precinct and the detectives, but they were disturbed by his responses to some of their questions. Enriquez was also more than curious about the effectiveness of the bloodhounds detectives were using to try and find clues. He also asked a friend to follow the tracking dog and report what it found. That's not suspicious at all. Yeah. (laughs) A task force of detectives and FBI agents worked day and night to gather evidence in all five murder cases. The investigation reached into Puerto Rico and the surrounding states of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Detective Silverman and Pepe served as the chief investigators of the case. Quote, I lived with this case every day, every night, Silverman later said. We checked Checked out Alex from the day he was in his mother's womb. Gus and I went into everything in his whole life, unquote. That, wow. Uh, that's really doing the work. That's um, good police work. Yeah, yeah. Don't say it often, but 
You did that. On October 30th, Enriquez was in court to face charges of child abuse, to which he pleaded not guilty. Uh, he had an attorney for this charge, and the attorney told him not to talk to police regarding the murders. However, Enriquez did speak to reporters on uh, October 31st at the place where he stabled his horse. He said he liked children, that he had two of his own, and he enjoyed spending time with children. And there was nothing wrong in that. I seem to recall um, <laughs> just hearing somebody say that. D doesn't it? Maybe it didn't in the 80s and 90s. But that gives me pause. Uh, yeah. not, not I'm not. I'm not trying to like project anything on anybody or on on anything. I just I have I hear somebody say I love spending time with children and I don't think there's anything wrong like immediately defensive about it like Yeah, then it, it it's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Of the child abuse charges, Enriquez blamed the child's biological father, who he accused of setting him up. The bio dad vehemently denied this accusation, stating, "Quote, he burned my kid." I don't have it out for him. I just want justice done, end quote. Fair enough. Yep. And while he was being investigated for the Guzman murder, authorities were able to link him to the 1987 armed robbery of the World Yacht Club in Manhattan. On December 4th, 1990, after obtaining a confession from his accomplice in that crime, Luis Pena, Enriquez was charged with the robbery and he was held without bail. He got away with a lot of scams for a long time. For a while, yeah. yeah. But they eventually caught up with them. Yeah, but I wonder if that's why he's so... Uh, arrogant um yeah uh, is it yeah, arrogant probably. or is it stupid i can't no, tell no, he's, it's it's both okay uh thanks og a true crime <laughs> uh in return for concurrent sentences that totaled five to ten years enriquez pled guilty to both the world yacht robbery and scalding the three-year-old boy but there wasn't enough yet enough evidence to indict him for the murders but because enriquez was already in jail police had the time to build a case against him and they didn't have to worry that he would kill again in april of 1991 police uncovered a witness who had seen enriquez with jessica guzman around 6 30 p.m the time when enriquez had said he was playing video games with friends his alibi fell apart and police recovered a car that had been repossessed from enriquez a car they believed that he had been driving when Shamira Bello disappeared in 1988. Forensic evidence, including hair samples found in the car, linked it to Shamira Bello. When questioned by police in the Elisa Rodriguez murder, Enriquez at first denied knowing her. But when confronted with a picture of Rodriguez and asked about a date they had, Enriquez finally admitted to knowing her, but claimed he only had one date with her, and then he never saw her after that. And on July 2nd, 1991, Enriquez was indicted for the murders of Jessica Guzman, Lisa Rodriguez, and Shamira Bello. According to Detective Pepe, the murder case of Heriberto Cruz and Nilda Cartagena was so screwed up by the previous investigators, they were unable to indict Enriquez for those two slayings. Oh, man. I that sucks for the family yeah, right it really does yeah while enriquez was imprisoned his 18 year old nephew john anthony ramirez visited him there during that visitation enriquez told his favorite nephew who's my favorite 
nephew. Can you try to get me out of jail? <laughs> to make phone calls to the media pretending to be the killer. According to Ramirez, he told me to disguise my voice, to be careful not to get caught, and to keep it a secret between me and him. Instead, Ramirez went straight to the police. Yay! Good bull. All right. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. <laughs> and under police instruction, he told Enriquez that news organizations would not believe him if he didn't have details of the crimes. Enriquez then told him things that only the killer would know, facts that had not been made public. He told Ramirez to tell the media that Jessica's body had been found near a small tree with her bra cut in front and that her underwear was white with purple flowers, that Lisa's body had been found on the other side of St. Raymond Cemetery in a blue shirt and pink sweatpants and that Shamira had a bloody nose. A note that Enriquez gave to Ramirez to use read, quote, I called you to warn you, but you didn't listen. I will strike again. Where, when, how? But soon, by this time, you'll believe me. I will stop when I reach big 13. So far, lucky seven. Ha, 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 ha. Hang up. <laughs> Yo, you stupid. That is wow. <laughs> oh, man, we're laughing. But I mean, God, um, it's it is really it, it kind of it makes me mad that yeah. he was so um, arrogant and stupid and, and yeah, and using he, this kid. Yeah. And and. It's just like it is a just a shitty circumstance that people died at the hands of this person. Disgusting. Who, yeah, is uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't even want to say human being. But. I don't. Yeah, true crime. True crime. Just a couple gals interested. In true crime, y'all. That's all. <laughs> um, police didn't even know the information about Jessica's undergarments, so they went back to the evidence collected and found her bra and underwear. They had to clean it up because they had blackened with decompositional fluid. But when they did, they saw that the bra had been cut neatly in the front and that the underwear was indeed white with purple flowers. Enriquez was indicted of the Bello Rodriguez and Guzman murders. He was not indicted on the Cartagena, Marrero, and Rosaria murders. However, as the grand jury did not find enough evidence for indictment in those cases, but the chief of detectives noted that Enriquez had not been ruled out. Well, now we are going to get into the trial. So while Alejandro Enriquez was awaiting trial, some prisoners tried to kill him. Uh, well, you made your bed. Uh, <laughs> he, he was stabbed in the chest during an altercation at Rikers Island and was recovering from a collapsed lung when the voir dire process began. The There was talk that the trial might be postponed, but the trial began on July 15, 1992. Enriquez's lawyer, Mel Sachs, argued the authorities were searching for a scapegoat for the crimes and that there was no direct evidence. But the prosecution was able to link Enriquez to the killings through circumstantial forensic and witness evidence. That sounds like a strong case. With yeah. that much, uh, a police expert, Francis X. Uh, Collery, testified that three strands of hair found on Bello matched that of Enriquez. He also said that the fibers found on three victims matched those in a vacuum cleaner in Enriquez's apartment and on a spool of red thread that was found in his apartment. The taped conversations between Enriquez and Andrea were played in court. The trial lasted for six weeks, during which Enriquez did not take the stand. The jury deliberated for more than four days 
days. And on August 28, 1992, Enriquez was convicted of the murders of Jessica Guzman, Lisa Rodriguez, and Shamir Bello, and sentenced to a maximum term of 75 years, which was to be served after he served the 5 to 15 years in the child abuse case and the robbery conviction. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, During the sentencing hearing, Enriquez made a statement, oh boy, where he lashed out against the prosecutor, Andrea, and a nephew who had testified against him, accusing them all of lying. He said, there are a lot of things that had been hidden in his trial. I feel I haven't been given a fair trial. At one point, Jessica's 14-year-old brother, Ricky, yelled out from his seat. He yelled this in Spanish. Um... Uh, But he said, everybody lies but you, Alex, right? Everybody lies but you. Right. A juror on Enriquez's trial later said, quote, this piece of garbage, he was always there. He was always around where things happen. You know, you say coincidence. Coincidence happens every once in a while. Everybody in that jury room knows that he did it and he knows that he did it. There was no other person that could have done it but him, unquote. Man, that is a juror who takes his job seriously, and we are glad about it. Uh, (laughs) So now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Enriquez is currently incarcerated at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in New York State, and he he still maintains his innocence. Milagros Guzman, Jessica's mother, commented that when Enriquez murdered Jessica, quote, he also murdered us, unquote. At a community support group, Mrs. Guzman also said something didn't work because it took five children to be killed, whether it's because we're Spanish, poor, or live in the South Bronx. For whatever reason, something failed. And Jessica's brother blamed himself for introducing her to Enriquez, which is really sad. Mm. And Lisa's mother attempted suicide. Also sad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. uh, Luckily, she survived, but it's still pretty sad that she was brought to that state. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it is so unnatural to have to bury a child. A child, yeah. And uh, in some, I was talking to a friend who is uh, Nigerian, and uh, in her culture, she was explaining that when a child dies, uh, and maybe, I don't know if this was exclusive to her family or what, but anyway, she was saying she's, her family uh, had a funeral for the boy, but the parents didn't go because there's so much... um, uh, shame surrounding the death of a young person and the fact that it's so unnatural that um, the parents just wow. don't attend, which sounds, um, I mean, it's a cult, it's cultural. It's a cultural and I, I might've, yeah. I might've even not heard her correctly, but the idea, again, the idea of uh, burying a child is just a devastating one. So yeah, uh, the parents of Jessica Guzman and Lisa Rodriguez sued the city for $20 million, alleging negligently conducted investigations in the cases of Shamira Bello, Neil de Cartagena, and Eriberto Cruz, which directly contributed to the death of Lisa Ann Rodriguez and Jessica Guzman. No word, though, if they got paid. Yeah, I don't I don't know what happened with that. I, I googled it and couldn't find anything. So if you guys find anything, let us know. Let us know. I hope I hope they got every penny because um, <laughs> they really did fuck that up. My Google just started talking to me. Oh, oh. what's up, Alexa? Scared the shit out of me. 
Oh, oh my god. Are you okay? Yeah, it just scared me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell is that? <gasps> Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, now we're gonna get into our takes. So what do you got, Beth? FBI profiler James R. Fitzgerald, who he's the guy who caught the Unabomber. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's a little bit famous. He claimed that Enriquez is a self-centered, psychopathic individual with a constant narcissistic need for power, control, and attention. He lies as a means of self-preservation and sustenance. He has a very positive perception of himself and uses his superficial charm to fulfill his own ends. He was probably incapable of having normal sexual interactions with adult women, which is why he directed his attention to younger girls, who he could also manipulate. He surrounded himself with people he deemed inferior to him, teenagers, children, as a means to feel more powerful. Like many other serial killers, he reportedly pretended to be a law enforcement official, possessed a fake badge, and always carried a pistol. He also drove a large police-like Lincoln sedan. So I thought Ooh. that was interesting. Alex, are you, do you feel your wig and your edges <laughs> being snatched? Because you just been red. <laughs> wow. Man, Fitzgerald just hit the nail on the head. Okay, yeah, he did. <laughs> I also read something on the Criminal Minds Wiki. Uh, they, they compared Enriquez to Will, Wayne Williams, uh, oh. you know, the guy convicted of two and suspected of most of the Atlanta child murders. Yes, I remember it well. So uh, they compared him to uh, Williams and they said that they were both inadequate men known as liars and boasters by the people around them. They were obsessed with law enforcement, both pretending to be policemen at some point in their lives. And they possessed fake badges and carried guns and drove official looking cars, had no real jobs to talk about. Enrique's basically conned people for a living while Williams lived with his parents and was a failed talent agent. Both mm. spent a great deal of time with children as a means to feel empowered and confident among them mostly targeted children of their same ethnic group but also killed young adults and had a troubled sexuality Williams never had a relationship uh, that we know of, uh, which prompted some to think he was gay. Enriquez was said to be sexually incompetent, uh, even though he was promiscuous with adult women. He was a poor lover. <laughs> like I said, I don't. <laughs> Boom. I, I would rather have my like uncontrollable fr- farts and halitosis for the rest of my life than some- have somebody say I'm bad in bed. <laughs> both turned to young children in order to act out sexual fantasies they had on adults and both injected themselves into the investigations over their respective series of murders. So I thought that was interesting too. And I think that Wayne Williams is a psychopath too. Um, Yeah. So I think he's a psychopath. (laughs) Oh my God. Did, where did you get this again? Read people for filth.com because (laughs) you know what? I I want that website. I want (laughs) to read people. Wow. You just, wow. I don't know. I, uh, it is a criminal minds wiki. Yes. Criminal minds wiki. That's where I found all that information. Oh and, uh, my God. I, I don't, I concur. I don't, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he became a psychopath. Um, it, it sounds like he didn't have the best childhood, even though he said he did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And 
there was probably some sexual abuse, uh, even though he denied it. Um, but again, uh, not everyone with that kind of a childhood is a psychopath. So that's uh, right. That's I right. Don't know. That don't is know. absolutely right. First of all, Beth, okay, <laughs> you come here to this podcast. We're just two gals interested in true crime talking, and you you come with like just fireballs. Like you just you just like hey, Beth, want to come to the shooting range with me? And you you pull out a flamethrower. You can't, yeah, like. Uh, I'm like, pew, 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 pew. And Beth's like, and I'm like, wow, that, that is, this is, this has been hot takes with Beth, <laughs> only Beth, because Wendy is retiring. That was, I just can't do anything but agree with what you said. <laughs> wow. I'm so taken aback. Uh, I, the only thing I might add is that I, we'd not heard of this case. Um, And it's for the usual reasons. The victims were not white. They were not wealthy. And neither was the community that they came from. And it wasn't until that youngest victim's death that folks, including the president, were able to pay attention. And we talked about on the show the the adultization of kids of color, that at some point around the age of 10, they are seen as at fault for bad things that happened to them, including their deaths. And so the fact that um, it's unfortunate that this 10-year-old girl had to get murdered and it was her murder that got noticed that led to justice and and, and this saga ending. But um, I think it's also uh, a critique we can make about Western white society, how yeah. um, things aren't important until it is on your front doorstep and so uh was it jessica she was seen as a human being because she was so young and not yet an older person of color with less value um that's really sad super sad thanks america uh this guy is just (laughs) an absolute garbage uh human being and he was a predator as beth said i don't even know why i'm speaking because she said it's so good (laughs) but it was his victims were younger and um tony morrison has this quote like how powerful are you if you have to make everybody else stand on your knees to feel tall, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, yeah, not, not uh, very. Yeah. Not Disgusting. very. Nope. And he swears he's innocent. I saw the Pierce Morgan <laughs> interview, but finally my bullshit meter works. <laughs> so this has paid off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Well, this is just an oldie but goodie. Um, Have a code word for your kids. That means that if somebody tries to like pick up your kids or take them somewhere and and that motherfucker doesn't have the code word no i'm not going with you because you <laughs> don't have the code word you're not a safe place or person um also teach kids i think not to accept candy or gifts 
or rides from people and yeah. be suspicious of individuals who are always offering that shit. Yeah. Uh, and my kids are really small. They don't have like cell phones, but these days you can download devices on uh, onto your device or your cell phone that you're younger the younger person in your life has your child um or whoever it may be and it's not foolproof but a tracking app i think is a good um thing an extra an extra tool in your safety how not to get murdered um toolkit for right young people Um, I wanted to say that um, there was some speculation uh, on, on some of the articles that I read that Enriquez, yeah, he was telling the kids to keep secrets. Like oh. in the case of, I think it was Jessica Guzman, uh-huh. he um, wanted her to come with him to uh, look for a birthday present for somebody like help uh-huh. him pick out a birthday present and it was supposed to be a secret and uh tell your kids that adults uh you should not be keeping secrets with adults and Absolutely, if, yeah. if an adult wants you to uh keep a secret uh teach them to come and tell you about it because that's not good <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, I'm going to be signing off this show forever because, (laughs) like, you did it again. You just pulled out the flamethrower. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's good. (laughs) Actually, I was uh, riffing off of you because, uh, you know, I had no idea what to to put for this. Yeah, this was was a tough one. And I think times are changing. And so, and times are, are odd right now, specifically, like, Kid, our kids aren't really out, but they are on the internet a lot, right? Yeah, so, yeah, how, so it's I mean, a little bit different. We're thinking about safety differently. Um, yeah. So hopefully you guys find the stuff we say useful. And if you have <laughs> tips, um, please send them our way. Yeah, you know how to get at us. Know. Fruitless yep. Pod across all the things. Now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any true crime goodies or any um, content about or by any marginalized or other groups people of color um people with disabilities lgbtq um i'm sure i'm forgetting immigrants all that stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. so um i wanted to shout out two true crime goody poc podcasts about pocs and by pocs the first one is through the cracks and it was suggested by a listener i'm so sorry i can't remember your name <laughs> um, but it is about the disappearance of a black girl. She was eight years old. Her name was Rolisha Rudd, and she disappeared from a Washington, D.C. homeless shelter in 2014. And it took 18 days for people to realize that she was gone. Oh, and um, this, like Washington, D.C. did an investigation, and they're like, you know what? I think we fucked this up. But oh, it's not a big geez. deal. Like it's it is just it it's a it's a fuck up on so many levels. That's why wow. it's called through the cracks. And so it's interviews of people who knew her and people involved in the search. It's really 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 well done. The other podcast I wanted to shout out is uh, Chicano Squad. And I don't know if you all have heard the um, promo for it in your feeds, but it is very very good about uh, how forty years ago police. Uh, killed or murdered a Latinx uh, Houston man, and it is about um, the 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 neighbor the neighborhood and 
um, unsolved murders around that time. It's just really, really good. I'm still, I'm only a few episodes in, but I just love it. And I could be awesome. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I got. Chicana Squad and Through the Cracks. Right on. What do you got? So um, I'm just going to shout out a, a TV show called Big Sky. Have you watched it? Old Whitey really likes it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't get into it. But Have you watched it? No. But oh, okay. Big, it sounds like it's Montana. Big Sky yeah. Country's Montana. It's- it's uh yeah it's set in montana and i, I it's not something that i i thought was going to be any good you know it was okay, just like okay. one of those days i was just looking for something to watch yeah yeah and it, it starts out oh, actually it doesn't start out that great but by the <laughs> end of the first episode your jaw yeah. will be on the floor really yeah Okay. And one of the actresses, uh, Kylie Bunbury, her her name is, and she okay. plays uh, Cassie Duell, a private detective, and she's black. And uh, in she's Montana, in Montana, and there's and actually somebody comments about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And, uh, she's my favorite character. She's she's kick ass, and I love her. Okay. So, um, and and there's some true crime that happen or not true crime there's some uh you know there's crime that happens and mysteries and uh so far it's uh been pretty good like i said the first i have to say the first half of the first episode i was like uh whatever and uh, but then by the end of the episode i was like holy shit so now and you're hooked now i'm hooked and okay. some of the some it's funny sometimes and uh like i said i like kylie bunbury Okay. And, uh, yeah. It, wait, is Kylie it. Bunbury the actor's name or the character's name? The actress's name okay. is Kylie Bunbury. The character's name is Cassie Duell. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, Beth has not steered me wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, basically, I, I haven't watched the whole series yet. So, and okay. it, it's it's on TV, so it might take a turn for the worse. I I'm always afraid of that when I haven't watched a whole series. I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, what if it gets Ooh, bad? <laughs> sorry, y'all. Oh, by the way, though, you recommended Clarice because it's out now. Yeah, and um, I we watched it, uh, and we liked it. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So thanks. I, I liked it too. Um, I, I watched it when it came out. I was super excited. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm just waiting to see. <laughs> okay. I, I get I, I, reservations because I yes. was like, Silence of the Lambs is already pretty fucking dope. Why yeah. do we need to go back to the drawing board? But I, well, I sort of like the angle that they're playing. Yes, I'm very uh, in- interested in um, the female uh, FBI agent perspective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 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 definitely. Um, well, this has <laughs> been fun, Beth. Yeah. Where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So till next time, look alive, y'all. 
it's crazy out there. take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 